this morning, I want to uh, continue on with the message that I started preaching last Sunday. Uh, the message I preached last Sunday was about, uh, I touched on that America, the world actually is in, in, in an identity crisis. One out of five people struggle uh, with some type of, and it's considered mental illness, uh, one out of five people struggle with their identity crisis, with an identity crisis. Uh, over half, well over half of teenagers uh, struggle with an identity crisis. What happens in the world also affects the church because the church is part of society, if you would. We come out of the world, but yet we are still in the world. So we find that we live in a country that people are struggling to know and to have an identity. As I look at the church and uh, I begin to think about this in the past few weeks, I begin to think about we as a church. The church in many ways has lost her identity. And yes, I did use the female pronoun there for the church. The church has lost her identity in many, many ways. Last week we had a water baptism service and we concluded that water baptism service. Uh, I preached that message and concluded with the water baptism purpose on, on purpose, service on purpose, because the water baptism is, is very much a public uh, identification, if you would, that I am a follower of Jesus. So as we concluded with that water baptism, I want to pick up and go just a little bit further. A generation ago in our uh, the civilization, the Western civilization that we live in, in particular in America, a generation and well beyond a gener- generation ago, it was sociably, sociably acceptable that people went to church. In fact, there was a certain amount of expectation that you went to church. You know, teachers didn't get hired in the school system unless they were church-going people. Um, you say, well, but, but there's a certain amount of prejudice in that. Well, maybe there was. But I also look back and I think, my gracious, look at what our school systems look like now. There was, uh, there was other things, uh, and, and I just used the, the, uh, the profession of school teaching as, as probably one of the most, pri- but, but, but it was considered if, if, uh, it was a medical professional. There was the, you know, doctors went to churches and, and medical staff went to churches and it was just, it was just the acceptable thing to do in our society. It's part of our socialist system. In fact, if you weren't affiliated in some way with a church, you were the oddity, if you would. Well, things have changed. Uh, you see, the, there were a lot of people that were social Christians, if you would. In other words, they went to church to be accepted, but they didn't necessarily have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And just because they were church-going 
did not necessarily mean that they were saved. So as the tide of social acceptance went out, that you no longer had to be affiliated with a church to be accepted as part of the society. You never had to be part of a church to be looked upon and to be thought an upstanding citizen. As that tide of acceptance went out, guess what? The people that were social Christians, as you would say, they went out with the tide. They drifted out with the tide. Now we look around and we say the number of Christians is decreasing, but that's not true. The number of Christians are not de- is not decreasing, but what is happening, the number in churches has decreased. Because socially, in our, within our social skills, we no longer think it to be the proper thing to do to go to church. In fact, the day that we live in right now it is considered weird. The minority, if you go to church. Look at that person next to you and say, do you realize this morning you're a weirdo? <laughs> Simply because you're sitting in church. You're, you're considered weird in so many parts. Now, we live, we live uh, we're, you know, right around this part in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Appala- Appalachian. Mountains, the Appalachian Mountains, right where we live. You know what? We live right dead center of the Bible Belt. So, so to, we may not see this or realize it as much as other parts of the great country that we live in. But it is true. It's true. So when you see all the stuff that you see here on the news, whether it's fake news or real news, but when you hear all this stuff on the news and, and, and you think, gosh, what is the world coming to? Well... It's coming, it's come to this because we have moved away even from social Christianity into a pattern of worldliness. But I've got good news for you. There is a church that is the true church. It's not a building like this one. Somebody told us to me the other day, he said, y'all got a really nice facility. I said, I appreciate that. Thank you. God has blessed us tremendously. But, but, but it's, it's more than just this building that we're in. There is a true church. The true church does not identify with steeples and pews, but it's a people that identify with the teachings of Christ. In this church, in this church, you're going to find that there's tall people. I can't identify with that. But there are short people. And I do. There's skinny people. I don't identify with that. And I wanted to have, find a way to put this delicate, but I couldn't come up with it. So I said, there's tall people, there's short people. There's skinny people, and some that are just fat. I did this. In particular, because I was one of our, I, for the sake of one of our attenders, and she didn't get to be here this morning, and I trust that I was going well. We pray for them. Uh, but I was thinking of Sister Sue that usually sits up front here. There's some with red hair, and there's some with no hair. You see, the church is made up of a lot of different people that come in all forms, shapes and sizes and appearances 
And, and, and uh, you know, all of that does not change anything of concerning the church. You know, the church always... I mean, like, you look at me and you, you think of me as, well, the church is actually quite pretty. And then you look at Charlie. We pick at Charlie. But i got to watch how I pick at Charlie because if you notice, Charlie has a bodyguard that accompanies him everywhere he goes now. A big bodyguard. But no, the church is made up of all kinds of different people. We all look different. We, we, our appearance is different. We're so unique that even, even the print of our thumbs are different. You know, our fingerprints are different. So, so much about us. But the reality of it is what the common thread that makes the church the church is the church has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? The church has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I, pre- as, as I preach the rest of this message, you know, some, some of us, some of us may have be closer to God in some ways than the next person sitting beside of us. But maybe that person is closer to God in, in another way than you are. You see, so we, we all have a personal relationship with the Lord that is a work in progress. And I don't touch on that before I conclude today. But we, but none of us are the same. None of us are at, at that, have the same exact relationship with Christ, but what is important is that we do have a relationship with the Lord. So I'm preaching to you this morning, this message I've entitled, Believers with No Faces, Part 2. You see, and I, I, I mentioned last week about uh, Christine up there at that store she works at. They sell those little little figurines are called Willow Tree. And my wife has some of those Willow Tree. And I, I still haven't figured it out really, the whole thing about it. And maybe it's because... I don't want to. I don't know. But 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 you got all these little figurines, little man and woman, you know, bride and groom getting married, or a little angel, or a little baby. And none of these figurines have faces, you know. But do you realize facial recognition is one of the most recognizable points that we have about us? It's used even uh, with these crazy iPads and stuff like that. And uh, facial recognition is so important. Last week, I talked about how we are we are known and we're recognized by by traits that we have in life, and like Charlie the furniture man, or Jason the car cleaner, or, uh, or you know, or. Uh, 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 Whoever else in this room, Jerry, the Sam's Club worker, Joey, the coal miner. You know, I can look around. So, and that's the way we identify. All of us have not something that identifies us. And as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should have something that identifies us as followers of Jesus. We shouldn't have blank faces like the willow tree figurines. Now, if you go to Second Corinthians chapter three in your scripture. And uh, then we're going to also be going down to Ephesians 4. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes this letter to the church at Corinth. And listen to what he says to them. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Wow. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but listen to this, but on tablets of human hearts. If you're reading the King James Version, he's, he actually, the King James wording uses the word epistle. Uh, so we find that in this letter to the Corinthian church, 
Paul is actually saying, you are living epistles. Now, you know, we think about the epistles uh, in Scripture. You think about the, the books of the Apostle Paul that have been written or the books of Peter that have been written or even Jude or the book of James. But, but Paul is saying that every single one of us, as followers of Christ, when we begin to follow Christ, we are a letter, literally become a letter from Christ unto the world. You know, I've heard it said, and I know you have too, uh, down through the years, that, well, you may be the only Bible that the world ever reads. And, and you know, and sometimes people look at that and they say, that's, man, that's old stuff, that's old fogey stuff. But, but, but it's so true because believers in, in a world that is moving farther and farther and farther away from the teachings of Christ, many times, many times, the only exposure they have to a Christ-like life is going to come through the life of a believer living that life out in front of them. We're epistles. And the, the Word of God written on our heart. It's written on human hearts. Those human hearts are fleshly hearts. It's not tablets of stone, Paul, Paul says. But here's the deal. The fleshly hearts is allowing the goodness of God... See, that's why I wanted that. I, wanted, I told Pam, I, she picked out that song this morning and I didn't even ask her to. But it's allowing the goodness of God to manifest through our fleshly shortcomings. I've got news for you today. None of us in this room, including my wife, is perfect. <laughs> but she's close. Y'all know me. Y'all know I y'all know I listen to that old heathen music. And she's like that old Alabama song. She's close enough to perfect for me. <laughs> You owe me for that, don't you see? Yeah. But here's the We all are fleshly people. If you don't believe your flesh, reach over and grab a big hunk. And if you're afraid to, have the person next to you do it. But I can promise you it'll hurt. We're all fleshly. We're flesh. None of us have, none of us have arrived yet. We're fleshly people. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we, we, we excuse ourselves in so many things. But, but what God does, God, He speaks of another place that we're earthen vessels. And we have this great treasure in earthen vessels. We are fleshly vessels, but God saw fit to bless these fleshly, these imperfect, sin-cursed, fleshly vessels with infusing us with His goodness so that we may show the world the goodness of God. So we're infused. And we allow God's grace to demonstrate through our lives, even though we have these fleshly shortcomings. Now, why did God do so? Why, why didn't He? Why didn't He go ahead and just do some more stones, man? He's good at that. He, you know, He cut, you know, He cuts them out and again, you know, then they get broke. He does, you know, He does it again. You know why? Well, you know, God was good at cutting out these, you know, stones, man. He was, He was, He was an expert at. It. But listen, but but God chooses to speak to the world through fleshly. Followers of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's you and I. That's you and I. So then we go to what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. 
Paul refers himself as a prisoner of the Lord. Yet we say we've been set free. Paul says as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Wow. So Paul writes to the Ephesian church, the same Paul who writes to the Corinthian church, about being living epistles, and he brings instruction of how the church can be identified, if you would, not for a means of judgment per se, but he he describes here in these scriptures, Paul creates a guideline, if you would, for the identity of the church. I want to touch on four things. The four things that Paul touches on, the first of them is humility. Humility isn't insecurity. A lot of people completely misunderstand what humility is. Humility isn't insecurity at all. To the contrary, humility is standing with a dependency upon God's grace, His love, and His authority, and His justice. You see, somebody described humility in in this way. They said, humility is... Humility is not that you don't want to punch somebody in the nose. It says it's humility is that you would like to, but you don't. Okay. Humility is 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 a is something that that there is a certain amount of constraint or restraint there that is involved in humility. When we are humble in Christ. We, we are not indecisive, nor are we passive, but we are confident in the Word of God. When, when we operate in humility, we are able to stand and know that because I am basing my life on the Scripture, on the Word of God, then I don't, I don't have to argue, I don't have to fuss, I don't have to fight, I don't even have to punch you in the nose. Because I stand. In humility on the Word of God. You see, humility uh, alleviates the power for, uh, the desire for power and prestige and acceptance. Do you realize that's part of the problem in the world today? Power, prestige, and acceptance, the strife for that, the battle for that. You want to know what's wrong with our our country up in in, uh, a few hours away in Washington, D.C.? That's simply it right there. It's it's a power struggle. It's it's people that are power hungry and they're struggling for power. They're struggling for money. They're struggling for prestige. But it not only happens in Washington, D.C., it happens all around us, even right in Bluewell, even right in our families. It can happen. You see, it's... It's coming to that realization, and I, I use this for an example. It's coming to that realization, realization whether when it comes to the church, whether you're Billy Graham or you're the church janitor with a with a scrub brush swabbing out the commodes, whether you're Billy Graham or you're the janitor, it does not matter. You are equally important in the sight of God. And if the janitor is faithful to clean those commodes, 
he's going to get just as much a reward as Billy Graham who was faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ if he, as long as they abide within the call that God's given them to do. Then humility, we find, leads to gentleness. I'm not too gentle lots of times. Gentleness and humility and gentleness, it's, it's sort of a paradox. You know, if you don't know what paradox means, it just means when things just simply don't make sense, okay? Paul was real stern, but Paul was also gentle. Jesus was gentle. A lot of you all have a picture hanging in your house with gentle, with gentle Jesus with that lamb hanging around his neck and a staff in his hand. And he's left the 99 in the fold and he's went to, uh, down over the bank to get the one that had gone astray. Gentle Jesus. How many of y'all got that picture of Jesus sitting outside the temple, plaiting a whip together, getting ready to go in and turn over the tables of the money changers and whoop them all. That's what we used to say. Whoop them all out of the temple. You got that picture hanging right beside of it, don't you? I don't know that I've ever, you ever seen that in print, Miss Sarah? I've never seen a, I've never seen, you know, hey, I, that might be a, that may be a good money maker. That might be our retirement right there. If I can come up and to paint a picture, and I'm not an artist, but if I, one of y'all artists, I remember that. What's one of y'all artists back there? Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Paint a picture, Brad, right? No, Brad, uh, Aaron. Aaron, paint a picture of Jesus Plaiting a whip to go in and turn over the tables of money. And that's going to be a hit. It's going to sell. I can feel it right now. Because that's the way we all picture Jesus, ain't it? So the same gentle Jesus is the same Jesus that plaited a whip. The same Apostle Paul that wrote letters that were very stern and someone maybe even think they were a bit harsh is the same Paul that says... Timothy, I want you to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, but do it with all long-suffering or love. You see, because humility will lead to gentleness, but even when we have to make a stand. Paul had to love much like Jesus did. He had His desire was to lead people in the ways of Christ. Paul instructed the Galatian church. He said, if anyone is called in a trespass, you who are spiritual are to restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. So, humility leads to gentleness. And oh, this next one, let me tell you something. This next one wore me out, left stripes across the back of my legs like my mama used to leave. Made me want to cry because the next thing Paul addresses is patience. Oh, Lord. Patience. Patience involves waiting and self-control. Sarah, am I good at either of those? No comment, let's move along. Patience, waiting, and self-control. Listen, the struggle is real. I'm impatient. I don't like waiting. I like hurry up and let's go. Now, yesterday, Waiting is not one of my strong characteristics. 
But when we exercise patience, and patience as Paul is speaking of, he's speaking in particular of bringing our temperament under subjection. I'm not big on modern country music. Uh, we watched some last on TV last night. We watched we we're watching the Isaacs, and then somebody else come on. I don't even remember her name, but you know I'm not I'm not big on that. You know it's because I'm getting old. Okay, I'm not big on that stuff. But anyway, I do remember. Was it Carrie Underwood? Is that her name? Carrie Underwood that did that song a few years ago. Jesus take the wheel. Hmm? Was it Carrie Underwood? Was that who it was? I look at all my worldly leadership here. Is it was it Carrie Underwood? Yeah. Carrie Underwood, and, and it was phenomenal. The song crossed gen, gen, genre barriers. It, it was in pop music. It was in country music. It was in Christian country music. It was in worship music. It, was, it went everywhere. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from me now. You know, Jesus, take the wheel. Maybe we should say, Jesus, I need you to take my temperament and Get a hold of my tongue now before it gets me in trouble. Because you know out of all the scripture, the one part of our body that is referred to as being set on fire of hell is not our brain, but it's the boneless piece of flesh that lies within our mouth and we call it the tongue. And sometimes I don't believe our tongue's connected to our brain. Sometimes I don't believe there's any relationship there at all. And I'm guilty too. But Paul talks about about, that humility and and gentleness. And he talks now about patience, about self-control. It speaks of longevity. Remember the adage, all of the good things come to those who wait. I guess that's why sometimes I don't have a lot of good things. No, I'm blessed. I can't say I don't have a lot of good things. Sarah waited 12 years on me, and look what she got. <laughs> Hush, Charlie. But wait, patience and waiting, listen to what patience and waiting is. When we learn to wait upon the Lord and we learn to exercise patience in the Lord and, 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 and I, and, and I, again, I admit I struggle. I'm not a patient person. But when we can wait upon the Lord, when we can exercise patience in the Lord, listen to this. It, it really, in reality, it speaks of our confidence that we have in the sovereignty of God. In other words, that He is in control, and he has total awareness. There's people in this room, you may have been praying for years and years and years for a healing. You may may have been praying years and years and years for something else to occur. Maybe it's not years, maybe it's months, maybe it's weeks, and it only seems like years. Maybe you're in this room and you're a single, and you've been praying for somebody to come along in your life to make you a, a, a spouse. Just keep on waiting. Sarah did, and I'm serious, she waited 12 years. Apparently I was the right Right one, but but the reality of it is this: is we have to, when we exercise patience as believers, we are saying, "I am trusting God in His time, in His season. He is going to provide me with everything that I need." One of His names is Jehovah Jireh. Jireh means God will provide, or God my provider. I get in a hurry sometimes. 
I don't want to wait. And sometimes I don't wait. And most of the time when I don't wait is when I really find myself messing up. But if we can wait upon the Lord, He will minister to the needs in our life. But it takes trusting Him. And you can't trust Him without a relationship with Him. And then lastly, is tolerance. Now I know this is a tough one as well. Tolerance. Tolerance. Huh. I used to work at a company, and I know some of you in the room, you, you do machine work and what have you, but I, I worked for a company for a lot of years, and the company, the, the type of equipment that we built, there were, there were really close tolerances. There wasn't very little room for margin, for error. But when we go back, and you, you go back and you read that verse 3, in verse 3... What Paul said this, he doesn't use the word tolerance, but he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Wow. Life is a life of give and take. You may be sitting here and you say, boy, I'm more of a giver than I am a taker. Well, praise God if you have been. Because in a world that is, it is full of selfishness, there's more people that, part of the problem with the world is there's more people that are interested in taking than they are giving. There are more people to, today that, that, that it's gotta be their way than somebody else's way. There's fights. Arguments and debates have gone on in the world. There, those things, because we're people, those things have happened in the church. There's been churches that have, that have parted company over the color of the pews, the color of the carpet, or the style of music that's being sung. And all of that really means nothing in the scope of God. There's, there's families that have divided over trivial issues. This country has divided over Trivial issues, some of them not trivial, but some of them were. The reality of it is, it's a give and take world that we live in. And here, here's, here's the, here is the, if you would, the, the point I want to make in this tolerance. You and I, if we're going to be wise, you and I, as, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to pick and choose our battles. I heard a preacher say just a few days ago, he said, I had to decide what battles I I was going to fight. He said, because, he said, I tell you, he said, I was praying. He said, well, I was so consumed with engaging in every, every debate, every argument, everything that come along. He said, I was so engaged in everything that came along. He said, and I was praying. He said, I was so overwhelmed. He said, and it was like the Lord spoke to me. And he said, you got to quit throwing rocks at every dog that walks by. You know, if every dog that walks by your fence, Every dog that walks by my fence, if I want to go out and throw rocks at it, for you dog lovers, I'm sorry, it's just a good illustration. I typically don't do that. Well, sometimes I do. We can get so consumed with throwing rocks at every dog 
that walks by that we, get, we can be so distracted at what God is really wanting us to do. I'm afraid that's happened in the church. You know, there's some things, yes, we do need to engage in. There's some things that, 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 that probably that we've engaged in that we, we had no need of engaging in. And while we're out throwing rocks at some dog that really doesn't care, something else is being unattended to. So we pick and choose our battles. And we separate those things from, that are trivial from those things that are doctrinal. But whatever we do, I want you to understand this. Whatever you face in life, whether it's in the church, whether it's in your personal life, whether it's, uh, you know, in, in your Christian walk, or it's not in a Christian walk. Let me tell you this. The scripture declares, and it wasn't Paul that said this, it was a fellow named Jesus. And this fellow named Jesus said this. That's not the one I want yet. Jesus said this. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I can disagree with you and still love you. You see, the world's messed up on that summary. Somehow. If I disagree with you, it means I hate you, according to the world. But just because I disagree with you don't mean I hate you. It just means I disagree with you. Okay? Just because I disagree with you don't mean that i got to punch you in the nose or you need to punch me in the nose. It just means we disagree. And we have to learn that Jesus said, as far as the church is concerned, as far as Christians are concerned, the world is going to know, the world is going to, our face, our appearance is going to be shaped by our love one for another. I told you the story, I think, but I'll share it again just in case you didn't hear it. Many years ago when I was working, working in the company, uh, I was with them 21 years. And we used to go out back and sit on a coffee, uh, not a coffee table, but a picnic table, and, and eat lunch. Me, uh, myself, uh, another guy, and uh, another guy, sometimes several, sometimes several of us. But on this one day, it was just three of us. We were sitting outside. It was a day about like we had uh, uh, this past week. You know, it was just a spring day. It was warm. And, and uh, uh, I always remember this, this one guy, he's passed away now, and he carried one of those metal lunch boxes. And in the metal lunch box, in the lid where the thermos is supposed to go, I think he had every pay stub he had ever earned stuffed in that lunch box. But anyway, he was uh, he was from a church of, of of a denomination that's not Pentecostal. Like you know, we're part of the Pentecostal Holiness Church. I was I was not a preacher then. I was just a lay member, and I was attending a church and uh, that was a Pentecostal church. And, and we would sit there at the picnic table, and and we got talking about all the problems in our church, and really all the problems in your church are people. And the fellow that was sat, sitting there eating with us, he, 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 uh, his wife, his wife, he was, he was basically agnostic. And his wife was, had affiliations with the Jehovah Witness movement. Which is a cult, by the way. Keep those cards and letters coming if you don't believe that. 
We got, we, we got ready to go back in. You know, somebody says, well, time, lunchtime's over. Let's go back in. And that fella that was an agnostic, his wife was a Jehovah's Witness. He sits and looks at me. I'm a believer, although I'm a different denomination. I'm a believer. And he looked, and the guy across the picnic table, he's a believer, a different denomination, but still yet a believer. He looks at, he looks at him. He said, I just wonder what church you go to. And that gentleman, he said, I go to so and so church. He looked at me. He said, what church do you go to? I said, I go to so and so church. He said, Good, I just wanted to find out because I never want to come to either one of them with as many problems as you all already have. Wow. Out of all the institutions that exist in creation, the church is the one that needs to have an identity. An identity of loving one another. We may not always agree. We might not always see things exactly the same way. But we love one another. Hold on this second. I'm about ready to land this plane, okay? So the church has an identity to live up to. It's not an identity that society has placed on us, but it is a biblical identity. And that is only going to be achieved through Jesus Christ. You know, before I ever got saved, I, I used to go out to the shed that's still out there in my, my dad's house. Part of it's about to fall in. i got to do some work on it. But it's, the, it's the, where all the tractors are parked. It's a dirt floor. And, and I had my issues. I had my problems, okay? I still got my issues and I still got my problems. But I had a really, really foul mouth. And I had some problems with alcohol and some other things. But I knew I needed to get saved. And I'd tell the Lord, I said, Lord, when you help me, especially the cussing part, I said, Lord, when you help me quit cussing, and I know I can live right, I'll get saved. Never happened. I'd go out in the, I'd go out in that shed in that dirt floor in the, in, in the summertime and I'd be all hot and sweaty in that, that old dusty barn floor and I'd come out and I'd look like a mud man where I'd been out there praying and begged God not to let me go to hell because, I, because I didn't think I could be saved because I still cussed. And I said, Lord, when I know I can't, when I know I got it fixed, I'll get saved. You know why? I never could do it. Never could get there. You know what? The Lord didn't give it to me, but He sure did take it away. You see, he, it wasn't about what I could do because if I could have fixed everything about me on my own, and I still can't, by the way, but if I could have fixed everything about me on my own, what would I have needed the Lord for anyway? Think about that. You see, and I got saved, and, and this relationship didn't zap me into perfection. I'm not saying that at all, and your relationship with the Lord is not going to zap you into perfection. Every single one of us in this room, whether you've been saved five minutes or you've been saved 95 years, every single one of us in this room that is a believer is a work in progress. If you're not a work in progress... 
you need to be the first one to this altar. Because we're a work in, a pro- in progress. Just like a baby will crawl before it walks, it'll walk before it runs. We are maturing in our faith. We are growing. Things that I still go through in life at the youthful age of 61, there's things that I go through in life that I'm still learning and growing from. And if you want to follow me for a period of time to try to catch me, well, don't tell your husband or your wife to hold, to hold off on fixing supper because if you follow me by supper time, you probably don't have already found something. You see, the Scripture is full of imperfect people that served a perfect God. But they were people that repeatedly, they repented and they matured as they, their weaknesses became manifest. Maturing comes through working through our mistakes and our misgivings and our weaknesses. Failures in our Christian walk are really not failures at all unless we allow them to be. They're learning experiences that we grow in and we, we mature in, Lord willing. And they will bring us into a closer relationship with Christ. I mentioned the Bible is full of failures. There's one in particular that we think about. This guy's name was Simon. Simon was the failure king of the New Testament. But then, amidst all of his failures, Jesus changes his name. He changes Simon's name. He says, Simon, he said, uh, Man, I'm changing your name. I'm changing your name to Peter. Old Simon, we know him better as Peter, of course. But old Simon Peter, he done failed miserably. Listen to this. This is, when we read this scripture, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter. He changed his name in that moment. Peter meaning Petra or rock. He wasn't saying that Peter was a rock, but what he was saying was the revelation that you received because Peter came to an understanding that Jesus Christ was the Savior. That Jesus Christ was the Redeemer. Peter come to a, a conclu- he came to the revelation, not just a conclusion, but a revelation that Jesus was Lord of all. Jesus said, because you figured this out, I'm changing your name to Peter. He said, because upon this rock, that revelation, he said, that's how I'm going to build my church. You see, and that's all Jesus is looking for any of us to do. It's come to that place where we realize that he is Lord. He is God. He is King. And in that, he says, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now listen, Jesus is God. Jesus knows what's going to happen. And let me tell you what has not happened when Jesus says this to Peter, when he changes Peter's name. What has not happened? Judas hasn't, but Jesus hasn't went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus hasn't been betrayed yet by Judas. And 
He hasn't been beaten by Roman soldiers. And he hasn't been nailed to a cross. That hasn't happened yet. But because Jesus is God, Jesus knew Peter was going to fail him. In fact, he tells Peter that. He said, for the cross... For the rooster crows two times, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, not so, Lord, not me. I'm not going to do that. Peter jumps up and cuts a guy's ear off in the garden. And, and Jesus is like, put that thing away. What's wrong with you? Now i got to put this guy's ear back on. And he puts that guy's ear back on. Listen, when Jesus told Peter this, he knew, what, he, knew he was going to go sword happy in the garden. He knew he was going to deny him three times on the night of the crucifixion. He knew all that ahead of time. But he still looks at Peter and says, But you have received the revelation of who I am. You understand who Christ is. You see, for us, for you and you and me, and uh, when, when we come to that realization that of who real, Jesus really is, it's just like Peter. Even though he miserably failed Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times in a matter of three to six hours after this event, Jesus still identified with Peter. And here's the wild part about all of this. You see, we qualify people for things. We qualify. We set standards. This same Peter that, that has already messed up, he's already done all this, and then Jesus says, okay, you know, you received the revelation. I'm going to change your name. He didn't change anybody else's name, but he changed Peter's name. And, and, and then, then he knows that Peter is going to mess up. He knows that Peter is going to deny him three times. He knows he's going to go sword happy and cut off a guy's ear. But he also knows that on when you turn over to Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the, the Holy Spirit is given to the church, he also knows that it's Peter that walks outside of that upper room. And he stands up and to the, before the whole city. And he says, hold on a minute! These people are not drunk like you think they are. It's just 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And the Holy Spirit was outpoured. And Peter preached a message and thousands and thousands of souls were saved in that first New Testament message. Preached by a total failure. An incompetent fisherman that achieved an identity in Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. He wants to create an identity in me and in you. And I don't want to be like that guy in the overhead. I don't be when it comes before the Lord, I want to have some facial features. I want to I want to you know what? But I want my I want my face to look just a little bit like Jesus. A whole lot like Jesus actually. Not the not what we think of in Da Vinci's portraits, but I want to be like Jesus. Because he's done so much for me. Would you bow your heads just a minute? Just a moment. If your head's bowed and your eyes closed. And uh, not, I'm, not, I'm not a high pressure guy. I'm not going to pressure you. But I want to ask you, do want to ask you a question. And out of respect for people's privacy. I've asked you to bow these 
bow your heads and close your eyes. But I just wonder right now, right now, is there anybody in this room that would say, Pastor, I've never been saved, but I need to be. I'd like to be. It's not anything hard. It's just, a, it's just an act of faith. I, you know, you maybe you equate yourself to be like Peter. You've messed up and you know you don't mess up in the future. So what? You just need to receive that revelation of Jesus in your life. Let him take care of that stuff. I never took care of it out in my dad's tractor shed. It was only after I surrendered my heart to Jesus that he began to develop and change my life. I couldn't do it on my own. But if you're here and you've never been saved and you would like to be saved this morning, or maybe you've been saved but you've drifted far away from the Lord and you would like to come back and rededicate your life, if that's you at all, would you just slip up your hand right now real quickly? Anybody in the room? Okay, I take it by that that everybody's comfortable with where you're at with the Lord. You can look this way for me. So here's where we're at. Believers with no faces. Whether I put a bumper sticker on the back of my car or not. That says honk if you love Jesus. Whether I have a t-shirt or a belt buckle or a hat that has Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. I'm not suggesting that at all. But whether I have any of that at all in my attire, whether I have a Christian flag flying in front of my house, anything that you could possibly think of, whether I have any of that, there I want I want to be identified with Christ. And you know what? The bumper sticker is not going to necessarily help you. In fact, I, I heard somebody a number of years ago. They said, you know what? I got behind somebody that had that. They were sitting at a red light. And uh, they, they had that bumper sticker on the back of their car. It said, honk if you love Jesus. They said, so I laid on the horn. They said, they must have thought I was blowing for them to go through the right light. And they turned around and gave me a California howdy. If you don't know what a California howdy is, ask somebody. Google it. But I want people to know, to be aware that I know Jesus, not because I preach to them, not because I've got my finger in their face, but because they can see the likeness of Christ in me. And that's what I hope you do too. I want to stand to our feet right now if you can. If you can't stand, that's all right. I understand. But as you stand, I just want us to pray and ask the Lord. Father, as we come to you, Lord, we do give ourselves away. Lord, we just love you. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness over our lives. Lord, and out of all the things that, Lord, that we need in life, Lord, there's nothing that we need more than knowing you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, because I realize that I'm not going to get out of this world alive, but I need, I'm, Lord, I'm going to face you someday. Lord, I can leave this world with, with, uh, without anything in worldly possessions, but I need you. 
So Lord, today I just praise you and I, I love you. But Lord, thank you for saving me. And Lord, I pray that I could be just a little bit more like you. God, I realize I got a long way to go. Lord, I got I got a mighty I got a mighty long ways to travel. But Lord, I can't do this on my own. Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to mold me and shape me and develop me into what you would have me to be. And Lord, today I praise you. I bless you because I believe that you want me to succeed. In fact, Lord, the Word of God says that you desire for us to prosper and to be in health, even as our soul does prosper. Lord, Lord, you said that you have good plans for us, Lord God. And plans for us to prosper in you. So God, I just pray that today for every person in this room that Lord, that we Lord God will be resemblances of you, Lord. People will see us and and recognize, Lord, your character, Lord, your traits and Lord, your countenance in our lives, Lord. And Lord, we praise you, we give you glory and honor, Lord, for Lord, saving our souls. Lord, we praise you, Lord, for molding us and shaping us into your image. Lord, just like, just like you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The older I get, the older I get, and sometimes Sarah will say, oh dear Lord, the older I get, I have, the more people I have tell me I look more like my dad. The older I get, I have more people tell me I act like my dad. Sarah's saying, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Uh, let me tell you, young people, think, the young people, think, if you're thinking about getting married, when you look at that young lady, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're checking that young lady out, before you, you know, once you get done checking the young lady out, fellas, go check the, her mother out because that's exactly what she's going to look like in about 30 years, okay? Same way with the guys. Guys, if you, you know, young ladies, you're checking the guy out, go look at her daddy. That's the way he's going to look like in 30 years, you know. But listen. The older I get, the more I want to look like my daddy. Not my earth, not necessarily my earthly daddy. I don't mind looking like my dad. But not, I'm not talking about my earthly dad. I'm talking about my heavenly father. The older I get, the more I grow in my faith, the more I want to be like my heavenly father. I hope you do too.